Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I hope you're all doing well. This is episode number 78. I am going to do a solo again today. I'm going to answer... I think just one question, which I mentioned uh, on the last podcast or the previous podcast or a couple of podcasts ago that I was going to try and answer. And then I went probably went on too long. So it's around the use of contrast training, French contrast training, specifically in training, but also in rehab. Um, And I'm obviously going to take a slightly more rehab view on it, but anytime... I say at all our workshops, anytime I mention the word rehab, if you're at a workshop and you don't work in rehab, just think training, just substitute the word training. Anytime I say the word rehab, it's the same thing. It's just meeting someone where they're at and mush and push, mushing them, mushing into them, mushing them down, uh, pushing them forward, meeting them where they're at, making them a bit better, meeting them where they're at, making them a bit better, uh, identifying what the goal is, uh, identifying what they're, what they need to work on the most and just hammering that thing just hammering that thing into submission um and yeah improving that way so we are going to answer that question uh i don't think i have too much else to talk about i have other questions but i just want to stick to one i think today um and yeah i i have some if you're watching me on youtube or whatever uh i'm i'll be probably looking down a little bit because i'm going to make this kind of semi-practical so i have some examples of so when we talk about contrast training i have some like practical examples of some exercises that you can pair together and i'll talk about the pros and cons of potentially using these and the different types of uh, things that you can use so i just scribbled them down there uh, like two minutes ago uh so yeah i'll be looking down just to make sure i don't confuse myself so the question is, do you use French contrast training in rehab? I've seen you post some examples of it in the past. If you've seen me post examples, then you know that uh, I kind of use it, but I wouldn't call it French contrast training. I use like a con- I use a couple of different contrasts, um, which I don't really, I, I call them, yeah, I might call it contrast training if I'm, if I'm writing down on a program for a client so that they understand but I don't necessarily because like when you say French contrast, that's a very specific type of contrast and I'll use different types of contrasts. And as always, like because I'm in my own one, because I work for my own business, I work for myself, I can call it whatever I want to. Um, I try not to like box myself in. So I say it's French contrast. Then someone has already defined what French contrast is and I don't want to mess with that definition or that terminology because that's not fair and not useful for anyone else so like i have something that i use called fatigue contrasts i have like uh joint angles specific contrasts and then you have a more traditional french contrast type of training and um yeah i have posted some examples in the past and don't worry you don't need to go looking for them i'll probably maybe i'll scribble down a couple of the examples but yeah. So, firstly, what is what is uh, French contrast? So, practically speaking, it's where you do something. Let's say you have traditionally, I think people would have like four exercises in a row. They would have a heavy lift. They would have a plyometric. They would have a weighted jump, and then another type of plyometric usually. So, a heavy lift, a plyo, uh, a weighted 
lift, a way to jump, and then a plyo. So, for example, you could go something very, very heavy. And don't don't hold me to this exactly because I'm not far from an expert on French contrast training, but just this is my perception, and then I'll show you. I'll, I'll explain when I might use it. So, you could do something very heavy, so like a high percentage one R of your one RM squat, like 80, 90, 95 percent maybe, uh, whatever, just a high percentage, something heavy. So you could think of a squat. All right. You could think of doing then pairing that or straight after that, doing something pretty fast. So that could be just like a double leg pogo. Um, uh, you could think about then doing something kind of heavy and kind of fast. So that could be a squat jump. And then you could think of doing something super fast. And that could be like a band assisted jump. So that's what you'll see a lot of people doing or a sprint even could be in there. So the idea really there is like something very heavy, then something fast, something heavy-ish and kind of fast, which is maybe the way to jump, and then something super fast. So it's hard for me to know how fast to actually go with this. Um, but yeah, there's a contrast. So think of a contrast, think of a scale. If I just drew a line on a page and then on one end of the line, I wrote hot and the other end, I wrote cold. You now have a contrast between hot and cold. Think of a draw a line on a page and I have heavy, and I have light on either ends of the line. Like, you now have a contrast. There's something heavy. There's something light down there. Think of a line on the page. And I write internal rotation on one end and external rotation on the other end. And then draw a line through, the, through that line in the middle. Like, neutral is in the middle. So, a lot of people will train a lot of the time in this neutral-ish type of zone in everything. So, like, they'll do things that are kind of heavy, heavy-ish. Like, they're, they're relatively heavy not super slow, not super fast, uh, not true, super large range of motion, um, not super high reps, not super low reps. They just stay in the middle all of the time. Uh, not working like to extreme exhaustion, not working too easy and staying in the middle is a nice place. Like roughly staying in the middle and oscillating in, in and around there is, is not the worst training strategy, but it can be nice to, give use contrasts and give people contrasts to help them feel what something like very heavy and something very light is what something very fast is and what something very slow is what like large range of motion is versus what shorter range of motion is that type of thing so like yeah even just to feel the difference between that which sounds obvious but like since um we only like in in life we only know what what happy is because we can be sad so there's a contrast in life there's a duality of man everything exists night and day um light and dark happy and sad heaven and hell like there's always a contrast there so we can use those contrasts in our training as well potentially um we can i like to contrast things as well when i'm trying to teach people how to relax i'll use a contrast where i'll get them to squeeze as hard as possible if it's a certain muscle or everywhere i'll get them to squeeze really hard first and then relax now they have a contrast of oh yeah my muscle was on before but i thought it wasn't now i squeeze even harder and i realize yeah that's and now i know for sure that's definitely on that's one end of the spectrum now i can let it go and now i know that's definitely off rather than this perpetually living in this like uh low level state of tension that is not re really aiding me i'm teaching you 
here's what a lot of tension feels like and here's where where what very very little tension feels like so like contrasting not i'm not talking about french contrast now just contrasting sensations in your training can be really, really nice you can have high days and low days you can have days where like you lift a lot of shit really heavy and then you move a lot very fast the the next training day you have you can have days where like yeah you're you're driving a lot of tension one day and then days where you're really staying relaxed and and focus on fluidity and rhythm and relaxation another day so it can be nice to contrast things in your training it's definitely nice and i think people don't contrast things enough and they get stuck in one kind of yeah perpetual state of i'm moving with like a decent amount of tension through a very similar range with very similar movement strategies uh all of the time so so the idea with like a French contrast then is that like each ex- exercise, quote unquote, potentiates the next one. And I don't, I don't really agree with that thought process. I think why it, why it like came about in the first place is S&C coaches in particular, um, trying to be fancy, uh, trying to justify themselves and their job and saying like if we do something really heavy then the next exercise is going to feel like really fast because the weights aren't there and that's going to help people jump higher and that's going to help people do x y and z and i'm not saying it it's, it's not of course it could but like the more obvious answer is like if you just practice jumping more you're going to jump higher if you want to jump higher you need to practice jumping high uh so that's the more obvious answer and you don't need to look for the very short-term gains of like, okay, I can jump 2% higher when I do a really heavy lift first. I want you to be able to jump 2% higher all the time because you've trained jumping a lot and, and then you're just able to access that. I don't want you to have to like always potentiate something. So potentiation also is a little bit of a myth in the industry i think because like a good warm-up is just potentiate potentiation turning up the music is potentiation being in a weight room or a training environment a a competitive environment with your friends that will make you jump higher or potentially sprint faster or lift heavier so like there's many many ways of potentiating uh, speaking to someone telling them you're looking jack today or like you played so well last weekend i couldn't believe how high you jumped like what what show me show me that like that's potentiation that's building confidence that's getting people to believe in themselves maybe screaming as loud as you can and like really clapping your hands and getting going that's potentially poten- potentially potentiation as well so oh hang on that is ringing me decline flicks off my screen because my phone is connected to my laptop uh hopefully i'm still with you uh so yeah so like the idea with a french contrast is each exercise potentiates the next and helps with the next and that contrast helps give some kind of a stimulus even though and i'm not saying it doesn't but i'm also saying like i don't know how true that is and i don't know if it's just being fancy for the sake of being fancy i know i know for certain people like that is the case it's being fancy for the sake of being fancy and um yeah it might not be it might not be needed i would say um yeah there's another like there's there's loads of examples of being fancy for the sake of it like there's examples of 
if you know what RPR is, where you're like rubbing on certain spots and you need to find the exact specific spot for your for your muscle that is quote unquote like inhibited. So you need to rub aggressively on your sternum and that's going to stop you getting hamstring injuries or something like that. Like all this stuff is just trying to substitute or find a way of saying like i know secrets that you don't know you need me um you're training like just sprinting and jumping and making sure you're moving really well and doing a good like just a good warm-up and recovering well isn't enough you need to know the secret sauce and that secret sauce comes in the form of me programming this specific um flow of exercises which potentiates the next in specific percentages and specific time durations and sets and rep schemes that all of that could be the case but Occam's razor the more obvious answer is you just sprint more if you want to get faster you jump more if you want to jump higher you lift more if you need to get stronger and it doesn't uh, if you're consistent with those things and you don't fall into the trap of doing too much and doing it sloppily and doing it in a way that forces negative transfer then like more than likely you're going to get benefits over time rather than trying to potentiate and and steal a short-term benefit that could or couldn't may may or may not stick around but yeah just the simple answer is usually the best that's what i would say there so um some kind of pros of that type of approach is it gets people doing contrasts which is i don't mean french contrast but it gets people doing contrast in their training so they're lifting something heavy and they're lifting something light good idea i would say so not not always now don't get me wrong but like yeah they're starting to feel different things it gets people jumping fast and it gets people jumping very fast good idea Yes, I would say at least they're jumping in the first place. It gets people potentially sprinting. It gets people potentially stronger. So there's loads of good benefits there. We used to do a French contrast um, with our football team probably like eight years ago. We had a really good SNC coach and um, I think he started to uh, dabble in a lot of this stuff several years ago now, eight, ten years ago. And we were doing like, yeah, heavy lift, a box jump uh maybe a weighted jump and then like some pogos or, or hurdle jumps or things like that so like will I, I for me it was definitely fun i really enjoyed that it was super good i think it helped me do i think it was because of the contrast or the flow of exercises probably not i think it was because he got us lifted in different ways he got us jumping in different ways and he got us um having fun and being a bit competitive with each other and training wasn't boring and it wasn't like it always was which is like a a like squat b hinge c whatever you know so like it mixed it up and it was it was fun so and it got people it got us lifting at different intensities and jumping in different ways fun fun is a keyword there and variety in your training is a keyword as well and being athletic is a keyword so here's some Here's some ways that I would use it potentially, use that type of stuff. Um, and yeah, I'll give you I'll give you some examples. So for someone, let's say you're do let's say you're doing a knee rehab with someone, ACL. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's fluff always on my microphone. And I think me talking gets a little bit of the fluff to go into my throat somehow. And it gets caught. I can feel it like feel it like drying out my mouth or something so um okay so like acl rehab let's say 
you're getting to the later stages and you have done heavy squats you have done jumping in a variety of ways um and you have done all the exercises that i'm going to list out already and they're competent at those exercises and now you want to mix up the stimulus a little bit so like traditionally you would not traditionally i won't say traditionally maybe it is traditionally or not but like usually i would put my plyo stuff first in a session while like so we do a good warm-up and then i put my plyo stuff there so that because we're trying to jump we're trying to be as reactive as possible we want to avoid like if we're trying to be faster off the ground and jump higher then we don't want a ton of fatigue in the system when we're trying to do that. So you can, so you usually I would do that first, but the, the, the fact of the matter is if you're going back playing a sport like soccer, rugby, Gaelic football, uh, AFL, uh, basketball, anything like that, like you need to still be able to be fast off the ground and jump and um, yeah, with, with a lot of fatigue in the system where you're like, you're tired so your lungs are tired, your brain is tired, your nervous system is tired, uh, and maybe local muscles are tired, your calves are tired, your quads are tired, whatever, it's late in the game, that's when a lot of ACL injuries are going to happen, that's when a lot of injuries in general are going to happen when fatigue sets in. So you, it's a tricky kind of one where you're thinking, okay, I want them to do their plyos early on in a session so they're the highest quality possible, but also like do I still need someone late on in a game or in a training session where they're back with their team to be able to still be elastic and springy and have good quality movement when they're fatigued? Yes, of course I do. So like you want to be doing some of your plyos under fatigue so that they can feel that, manage that fatigue and still produce really high quality movement under fatigue. And that that's another skill in and of itself. Um, be, being able to be tired is a skill. Being able to move well is a skill. Being able to be really springy off the ground is a skill. But then putting all those three things together, being able to be springy, being able to move really well and be tired while I'm tired is kind of another skill. Now, if you can't, if you're not springy, then you're definitely not springy when you're tired. If you can't move well at all, then you definitely can't move well when you're tired. But if you can do those things, then you want to make people tired and then force them to do those things as well. That's another skill. You need to expose them to that stimulus. So let's say you've done all that. You've made people springier. They're looking pretty good. They're squatting well, blah, blah, blah. So potentially then I just looked at like a previous a previous uh, uh, contrast. This is probably more like a French contrast, but it's actually... No, it's probably not, but it's it's more similar, let's say, than, than different. Um, so you could put in a heavy squat, heavy bar- barbell back squat. You're going to get a lot of quad there, knee dominant type of movement. Obviously, your hips are working as well. Then I paired it then with, um, so the second exercise then is a continuous counter movement jump. So fast, but not super elastic. So like in the heavy squat, we're going down to parallel or hopefully break in parallel if we can in the counter movement jump double leg you're going to be sinking down and pushing back up again somewhere around similar joint angles um still a muscular movement but we're jumping up and down and we're going for reps there not too many reps then i actually have a knee iso push so you're actually going into a barbell doing an isometric and pushing really hard there into a barbell in this mid stance type of position on a single leg 
and then we're going into a single leg drop jump or a few single leg drop jumps okay so that flow of exercises looks like this and this is just a complete like example that i wrote for a client so um that i had there and i was able to pull out so don't take this as gospel or say i'm not even saying that you should do this this with your clients i'm not even saying i'm just giving you an example so there you have a heavy squat a continuous counter movement jump and knee iso push and then a single leg drop jump so four exercises okay so in a in a french contrast you might think something very heavy there i have a heavy barbell back squat something pretty fast there I have a continuous counter movement jump, not too many reps, just a few, something heavy and fast. Uh, a lot of the time people will put in a squat jump there with light enough dumbbells, but heavy enough to slow your, your jump down, obviously. But instead I had, for whatever reason at the time, I had a knee ISO push. So it's an isometric push. So you could say heavy and you could say fast, but obviously it's an isometric. There's no movement. So it's not fast, but where the intent is high we're trying to push as hard as possible we're trying to be as fast as possible so it's high intent and then uh something pretty fast afterwards which is a single leg drop jump i have like here in my example that i gave earlier in a french contrast something super fast a band assisted jump i just don't like band assisted jumps i don't i don't think i've ever used them in the last five years certainly i use them as a as an athlete myself and I, I can't remember some client I know will come out of the woodwork and prove me wrong, but I can't remember any time in the last five years I've programmed band assisted jumping for anyone. So I'm not a big fan of those. That's another conversation. Guys, if you're sick of using calf and tibialis raises with yourself or your clients, hoping that they wor will work, secretly knowing that they won't, then check out our foot program in the show notes. I'll teach you how I rehab and train all of my clients how to unlock their rear foot and their ankle how to pressurize their midfoot how to load and strengthen their forefoot how to build a connection from the foot to the hip how to progress through plyometrics it will open up so many tools in your toolbox and, and completely transform how you view lower leg training so check it out you won't regret it so that's more like a knee dominant contrast that you could use with someone who is good at all those exercises. And now you want to use those exercises where you're pairing them. Uh, you're doing like a squat, which a heavy squat and then into a counter movement jump. So like you're, you're pairing them together. You're doing four in a row where there's different amounts of fatigue, different amounts of like, Ooh, like my nervous system is a bit more upregulated now. Um, I'm not doing them to potentiate the next exercise necessarily. I'm doing them to cause you to um, have some kind of a different sensation in your body when you do the next exercise. It's not about like, oh, now you're able to jump 2% higher in the, in the counter movement jump. Great if you can, but I'm not doing it for that reason. I'm doing it so that you can do a counter movement jump having done a previous exercise and now your body feels different. So that's why I'm doing it. So that would be like a knee dominant one. Here's a hip dominant um, example that I've written for another client. More hip dominant and more knee dominant. There's obviously a lot of hip and a lot of knee in both. So exercise one, we have obviously, we said before, something heavy or something very heavy. So trap bar deadlift. Exercise two, something pretty fast, broad jump. I have there so similar joint angles if you get into a trap bar deadlift and broad jump similar ish joint angles exercise three i we have here something heavy ish and fast i had there a bosch clean um 
I probably wouldn't use that now I've gone away from those exercises. But I think if you were someone that likes those exercises, you could do a Bosch clean would probably work there because we're thinking something like heavy-ish and fast at the same time. So the previous example was a squat jump um, with some weights in your hands, obviously. Uh, this example, more hip dominant is a Bosch clean. To be honest, I would probably just do a clean now, double leg clean. Um, but yeah, I had that more like, double leg and then the Bosch clean goes into like a single leg variation and then the fourth exercise is a triple hop for distance so hop 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 so right 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 um so yeah so that hip dominant one trap bar deadlift broad jump Bosch clean triple hop so there's like a knee dominant one and a hip dominant one and the contrast not for potentiation not to make people jump higher but to make people do exercises while their body feels different from having done the previous exercise. So to expose them to different levels of fatigue and stuff like that. Not just fatigue, but different levels of stimulus, different levels of upregulation, different levels of just my nervous system feels different now, having done that exercise, now that I'm doing the next exercise. So that's a couple of examples where I would use that in rehab. And I think like that's fun too. That starts to feel like training. That starts to feel like more like, yeah, I'm, I'm, like in when you're playing soccer, you're playing Gaelic football, you're out in the field. You're not just like, I don't just do all my sprints. Then I do all my change of directions. Then I do all my shooting. Then I do all my tackling. Like, like really the game is all of these things being mixed in together. And I need to be able to shoot and then tackle. I need to be able to change directions so that I can get past my player to shoot. So like it's pairing all these things together and being good at them um in isolation but then in integration with each other so another one then it could be a joint joint angle specific uh contrast so this is another um contrast that i have used with someone and i'll explain it so or i'll give you the the example of the exercises again i know this is a audio so hopefully like like everyone knows when I say trap bar deadlift, hopefully you know what that means. When you when I say broad jump, hopefully you know what that means. When I say Bosch clean, hopefully you know what that means. When I say triple hop for distance, hopefully you know what that means. So joint angle specific, hopefully you know what a kickstand hinge is. Um, you've seen me post a lot about that. Uh, this is like, this is, when I say kickstand hinge, it's not how anyone else coaches it. It's how I coach it. Now, if they've learned from me, they're coaching it in the same way, but it's not an RDL is basically what I'm saying. It's not a kickstand deadlift or a staggered stance. It's a kickstand hinge. There's only one type of that, of way, the only one way of doing that, okay? Um, then uh, you could have a swan hop. So Matt McInnes-Watson has a uh, plyometric exercise called a swan hop. So you're kind of hinged over, you're on your right leg and you're hopping you're in like an rdl position where your left leg is back up behind you and you're doing a hop there so there's kickstand hinge you, now this can be a kickstand hinge where you're going heavy this is what i mean like this is heavy because it's the first exercise if we're following like more the french contrast style is something heavy first then something kind of fast so kickstand hinge load it up with a trap bar go heavy swan hop something kind of fast not not very fast at all but similar knee angle still in mid stance still like a little bit more more um more like you're getting a bit more hamstring and glute there and then i have the third exercise a hamstring bridge overcoming isometric so you're lying with your shoulders on one bench your heel on another bench you have a slight bend in your knee again like mid stance type of knee position 
you're driving your heel down into the bench and you're driving your hips up into a fixed object, which could be my hands on your hips and all my body weight pushing down into you, or it could be a barbell or something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Another bit of fluff. Actually, I might have a sip of my LucasAid Sport. Very nice. Um, so, yeah, hamstring bridge overcoming isometric. And then the fourth exercise could just be a hop again, okay? Um, you could go, yeah, you could go maybe for distance again rather than, like, going straight up in the air for your hop because that would be more knee dominant. If you travel for distance in your hop, you're starting to get more of this, like, kind of stretch and uh, rolling foot contact. So you're using your hip. Your knee is definitely working. Your ankle is definitely working a lot more, but you're starting to get a lot more hip than just if you're going straight up and down in the air, more vertical. So this one is more horizontal. So there are like joint angle specific is this would be like a mid stance specific, semi specific, I should say, uh, which is important. Uh, mid stance semi specific um, contrast where we could do it to load someone's hamstring. We could do it to load their knee in that joint angle. We could do it to load their ankle in that joint angle, their calf in that joint angle, their glute in that joint angle, or their hip, I should say, in that joint angle. So, um, so yeah, the cool thing is when you're in that joint, those joint angles, the knee, the ankle, and the hip are all in that mid-stance position. So you don't need to be super specific um, with like which one. But yeah, that would be a joint angle specific one. So that's exercise one, kickstand hinge, exercise two, swan hop. I think that's what Matt calls it. Exercise three, hamstring bridge overcoming isometric. Exercise four, uh, a hop, vertical hop for distance or yeah, for distance. Um, I don't like saying for distance because that means people disregard all like cues of or all smoothness of the hop and they just like try and smash themselves to go as far as possible so i wouldn't usually say far distance within my programs or when i'm coaching but just for the sake of you guys listening that's what i'm saying and then another example would be a fatigue contrast so some of you have probably heard me speak about this a couple of times i've spoken about fatigue contrasts on a on another podcast several years ago i think it was a guest podcast i've spoken about it on instagram stories i've spoken about it um on instagram in general i think a couple of times not that often so any like newer followers in the last 18 months or so probably hasn't heard me talk about it but a fatigue contrast would be something that um sorry just pen pen is leaking a bit uh fatigue contrast would be let's say someone has knee pain and we have them up to a certain level but like when they do a hop they still get knee pain or yeah let's just stick with that example for now it's not horrible knee pain it's still just knee pain but they're still able to do some hopping but like it just feels a bit gunky and they're unsure i think you can use fatigue contrast to like because sometimes with pain you're you're almost like expecting it you're almost you have the same body and you have yeah, you have the same body and that body is expecting it because every time I'm in this joint angle, in this position, I get this pain. So like I'm expecting that to come. So we can kind of scramble that signal a little bit and say we can use a fatigue contrast where actually now you have a different body when you do it. So what that means is let's say you have knee pain. I'm going to try and do a single leg um, hop 
which is hop is single leg anyway. But let's say I'm going to do a single leg tuck jump. And every time you land, you're getting that little bit of pain. So we can kind of scramble that signal, I think, a little bit, which is I know that that sounds super unscientific and it is super unscientific. So like I acknowledge that. And and this is super unscientific. This is not something that's been studied. I think the last time I spoke about this, like physios were asking me for the research to back up what I was saying. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not saying this, this is research. I'm just saying you can potentially use this as an option. So, um, so you have knee pain and you do, you want to do a single leg tuck jump or single leg tuck jumps. You can use something called a fatigue contrast, which I call a fatigue contrast. So let's say you do a heavy leg extension or a leg extension. You go for 20 reps, you smoke your quad. You go and do a, a tuck jump then. You now have a different body than you did before because that quad is very fatigued. We want to, it's called a fatigue contrast for a reason. We want to bring the quad like to the edge of failure um, and then do the exercise. You might not jump as high or anything like that. That's fine. That's not the idea. Then we'll go, so we'll go heavy leg extension. This is complete random example now. So don't, don't, um, don't just quote me or take me up on this example. Literally, I wrote this down 30 seconds ago, but I've used examples like this or uh, kind of plans like this with people. So heavy leg, leg extension, 20 reps, single leg tuck jump, 20, um, whatever reps, um, foam roller bridge oscillations, 20 reps or however many reps until like they're basically go to failure back to the single leg tuck jump 20 reps uh single leg calf raise 20 reps start to failure uh single leg tuck jump 20 reps copenhagen plank 20 reps single leg tuck jump 20 reps kickstand hinge oscillation in that lengthened position 20 reps bring the glute to failure back to the single leg tuck jump 20 reps so there we're like fatiguing intramuscularly each each um group of tissues so the hamstrings are getting fatigued the quads are getting fatigued the glute is getting fatigued um the 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 calf is getting fatigued the adductors are getting fatigued all but in after each one of those after we do the quad we hop after we do the glute we hop after we do the adductors we hop after we do the calf raise we hop after we do the hamstring we hop so each time you have a different body when you're doing that exercise and i would use fatigue contrast for two reasons um one reason is yeah if someone is getting a bit of pain we just like scramble it up change the signal um like fatigue the shit out of each muscle individually and do the hop and now you have a different body so your body isn't going to react the same because now you have a different body each time you do it so this is a, I spoke about this obviously earlier in the episode as well, or earlier in the conversation here, I spoke about this with regards to just contrasting. We're contrasting like a shit ton of fatigue in one muscle, do your hop, a shit ton of fatigue in another muscle, do your hop. So yeah, I've also seen people like tear their ACLs who have done like what, a, what I would consider or what they would have considered like a decent rehab process. And looking in from the outside, I knew that they, I could see that their physio never got them jumping or decelerating under fatigue. They always did like their sprint work when they were fresh, their change of direction work when they were fresh, their plyometric work when they were fresh. And like I've had conversations with people who I asked them how their rehab went and they did all these things when they were fresh 
always when they were fresh, which is a good idea in the beginning, but not always a good idea. And then I've seen them, I've watched them on television, go back into games. I knew who was rehabbing them and I see, I've seen them tear their ACL in big games. And I knew, I knew that they didn't, um, they didn't do enough work under fatigue. And we can obviously make, we can obviously do our work where you're just tired in general, but we can also do our work, our plyos, our sprints, our change of directions where you're very fatigued in your quad because there's potential for you in a training session to be down in a little huddle position and you're hunting for a ball or if you're in rugby, you're like in a squat position and the scrum has to reset five times in a row and your quads are burning like hell and then you have to go for a sprint afterwards. So there's potential for like one muscle to be really fatigued, but then you have to still put it together afterwards. So a fatigue contrast I would do um if for a couple of reasons one to just train people to still manage a good collision under fatigue or two if it's pain and i want to throw like a kind of a slightly different option at it when yes they're they're still good at these exercises it's not the most disgusting pain ever but it can scramble the signal a little bit that's like if that pain just won't go away it's kind of annoying us but we can still do our plyos this can work really well um and then three yeah, those are the two main ones. And like, it doesn't have to be a different exercise, a, a different muscle group all of the time. You could do stick with quads. You could do a leg extension, single leg tuck jump. You could do a sissy squat, single leg tuck jump, like each after the other. So leg extension is one, single leg tuck jump is two. Leg um, Sissy squat is three, single leg tuck jump is three, four. Um, split squat is five, single leg tuck jump is six. Um... Uh, reverse Nordic is seven, single leg tuck jump is eight. So we're starting to like get the quads from every different direction and then jump afterwards. So I have no idea if this episode is useful for literally anyone. Um, but well, sorry, except for the one person that asked the question, uh, because most of the time when I answer a question, it's because I get it all of the time. Whereas this time I answered a question because I only got it once. I think I've only been asked Apart from that time I spoke, or those few times I spoke about fatigue contrasts, I've never been asked about French contrasts. So that was nice to get asked and hopefully useful for everyone. So that is the end of the episode. Feels like I just spouted word garbage for last, the last whatever it was, 37 minutes. Uh, so I really hope it was helpful. Give me some feedback. Let me know. Share it. Um, yeah, let me know. And apart from that, jump on DJR Interactive the world's best biomechanics education platform. It's there, it's waiting. It's actually getting so much love recently from so many coaches because we've had so many people join and people are loving it. There's, I think the library is now, the video library on DGRI is just in such a good state that no matter what you want to learn, it's there for you to learn, spend 10 minutes. You have a client coming in later on that day. And let's be honest, like, it's we all say oh yeah like we're we know what we want to do or something but like we all we all have spent time going on google and thinking like looking for ideas of what i want to do with that client or looking for like looking at anatomy and saying i can't figure out what's what they're talking about there or yeah so like that if we're being honest everyone does that so instead of going on google go on dgri and actually look at a solid thought process and yeah a little netflix choose your video and i think you'll love it so yeah i hope that was helpful uh that's the pod and i'll chat to you guys next time